now. Man, I'm so thankful for that. Folks, how many of you know without the power of God, nothing we do can ever be effective? And so we never need to take the presence and power of God for granted. Um, God doesn't have to um, bless us with his presence and his power, but I'm thankful when he does. And uh, what a blessing that truly is. Take your Bibles, if you will, please, tonight, and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. I want to share with you, again, from the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter number 4 this evening. 2 Corinthians, chapter number 4 is what we're going to be looking at. We're just going to be sharing four verses, and I'm not going to keep you long tonight. If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast, and we'll be done in just a moment. But I want to entitle my message tonight, uh, How to Master the Mind. How to Master the Mind. Let's look together, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse number 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And watch what he says in verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sakes. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, how good you are to us. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet, sweet presence that we feel here tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for meeting with us. We realize that nothing good can happen unless you do it. Lord, if the work's going to get done, you've got to do the work. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would do the work needed in the hearts and lives of men, women, boys, and girls tonight. We're praying that you speak to hearts and change lives. There'll be one here that's lost. Would tonight be the night that you save them? In order to uh, save, need, encouraged, and convicted, would you this be the time when you encourage and convict your people to be what you want them to be? Lord, you know what we need better than we know what we need. And so, Heavenly Father, I'm praying now that you would move me out of the way. You would use me. You'd speak to me and speak through me. Fill me up and pour me out for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray and for your sake. Amen. Tonight, Lord willing, we're going to learn how to master the mind because that is of vital importance if we're going to live a life pleasing unto the Lord, if we're truly going to make a difference in the world that we live in. When I was a little boy, during the summertime, whenever we were off for summer vacation, one of my favorite things to do was to go over to my Papa Milliken's house. My Grandpa Milliken, um, he was just a fun guy to be around. He was a World War II veteran and a Korean War veteran. And when we went over to his house, he would always tell us about what things was like when he was growing up. And, and he'd talk to us about the things that happened in the war. And it was always fun getting to, to speak with him. And one of my favorite things about going over to Papa Milliken's was eating breakfast. He made the best biscuits that you've ever put in your mouth. Looking back on it now, the biscuits that he made tasted just like the biscuits at Cracker Barrel. Now at that time... I didn't even know that a Cracker Barrel existed, but I'm telling you, that's exactly what his biscuits tasted like. So I love going over there. And I can remember sitting around the table in his dining room, and me and my brothers and my mom and my grandma, we'd all be sitting around the table as he was cooking breakfast. And he'd get done and set the food down, and we'd start eating, and he'd start reading the paper. He'd always cook breakfast, but he never ate breakfast. He'd always cook breakfast for us. We'd be sitting around the table uh, eating there, and he'd be reading his paper. He always read the paper. And I can remember many times him looking up from that paper, and he always called me son. He'd say, son, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. 
He said that over and over and over again. I can remember him saying that all the time. Now, I've often wondered what my grandfather would think today if he sat down and read the morning paper. See, that was 25, 30 years ago. And he was right. The world at that time, uh, by what he was reading on the pages of the newspaper, he could see was headed for destruction. And he's right on that. The world was going wild. The world was going crazy. And the world is truly headed for destruction even more so today. Now, there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is not new. It's a very old reason. As a matter of fact, in the book of Genesis chapter number 6 and verse number 5, the Bible says that the Lord destroyed the population on the earth, the population of mankind, all except for one family, uh, because the thoughts and intents of their heart were upon evil continually. Genesis 6, 5. That's what he says right before he destroyed uh, the earth with a flood. And so that's not a new thing that uh, the thoughts and intents of the heart have brought destruction upon the earth. But the truth is, the reason we have the problems we have today, the reason why we can look and say that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, that the world's going wild, the world's going crazy, is simply because of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Can you say amen to that? How many know how you think is how you're going to be? And what you think is what you're going to do. And so I want you to know before you can live it, you've got to think it. So if you've got stinking living, or stinking thinking, excuse me, it's going to show up in your life. And your life will stink to high heaven before a holy God. And so tonight, I want to take a look at the Word of God and see how we can master our mind. How we can take control of our thought life. Because, man, that's of vital importance for each and every one of us if we truly want to make a difference in the world that we live in and live a life pleasing unto the Lord. Now, there's four factors that I want to give you. I, I'm going to give you for sure three, maybe four. But I want to talk to you, first of all, about the salvation factor. Look right here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 down to verse number 3, or excuse me, verse number 4. And let's look at the first part of this verse. This is what it says. In whom the God of this world. Now, if it says the God of this world and it uses a little g, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Satan. We're talking about the devil himself, our enemy, our adversary, in whom the God of this world, Satan himself, he blinds the minds of them which believe not. Let me tell you what Satan is doing right now. He's blinding the minds of those who are not saved. He's pulling the dark veil over the minds of those who have not yet trusted in Jesus. Let me tell you why he does that. He wants to keep out all of the light of the gospel message. For he knows if the light of the gospel message can penetrate the mind of those who stand in unbelief, their lives can be changed. You see, the same gospel message that has saved me can and will save this whole world if they'll just open their mind to it, if they'll get a hold of the truth. That's what God wants. That's why we preach the gospel across the street and around the world. But Satan does everything he can to keep people in the dark. He don't want the light of the gospel coming to their light. So he blinds their mind. Now, before we go any further, we need to, to take a look at something right here. Do you know there's a difference in your brain and your mind? I didn't used to know that until I got to thinking about it. I started doing some studying on it. And there's a big difference in the brain and the mind. How many of you know the brain is just the gray matter between your ears? The brain is what the mind uses 
to think with. Amen? Think about that for just a moment. The brain is what the mind uses to think with. The relationship between the brain and the mind, or the mind and the brain, would be similar to the relationship between a piano player and his piano. Now, how many of you know that the piano player, he's the mind? Amen? He's the one who creates the music. The piano is the brain. And so the mind uses the brain to think. The piano player uses the piano to play the music. Are you getting what I'm saying? There's a difference in the mind and the brain. Now I want you to know this. Who is playing the piano makes a lot of difference on what comes out of the piano. There's truth in that, isn't there? Just last week we were in um, Havana, Cuba, as I told you this morning, and and uh, I met a young man down there by the name of Israel. There were two Israels in the church. He was one of our interpreters, me and him. And that's the first time um, that I've ever met anybody uh, other than myself named Israel. And uh, he's a fine young man, great young man. And he would set up uh, during the, our, our breaks in the day at lunchtime and after lunch. And he would play that piano, man. And I'm telling you, that brother could tear that piano up. He was the mind that was using the brain to make some beautiful music. But I want to tell you something. If the other Israel had come up and got on stage and sat down at the piano, there had been a whole lot of different music coming out of there than what I heard when uh, that Israel was playing. So whoever is playing the piano makes a lot of difference of the music that comes out. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The most dangerous thing in the world is the man who has a good mind, or excuse me, a good brain and a bad mind. Amen? If you've got a good brain and a bad mind, uh, then all manner of evil can come from that person. Do you know that most serial killers are regarded as being um, having a very high IQ? Most of them are on the genius level. They have a great mind, or excuse me, a great brain and a bad mind. And when you've got a great brain and a bad mind, and that mind uses that good brain to think with, then you've got a clever devil, amen? You've got someone who is going to do everything they can uh, to do what's against uh, truth, and that's a very dangerous thing. So there's a difference between the brain uh, and the mind. Now, listen to me. I want you to get a hold of this. When we get saved, God doesn't change our brain. Amen? We still have that same gray matter that we've always had. But what he does do is change our mind. And what Satan wants to do is distort our thinking, distort our mind. He wants to cloud our mind uh, with things that are untrue. For he knows that what the Bible says is truth. How many know Proverbs 23 and 7 says, As a man thinks, so is he. Let me give you another scripture. Proverbs 4.23, brother, if you will, put that on the, on the screen for me. Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23. The Bible tells us to keep the heart with all diligence. Now, in this verse, when he says to keep the heart, he's not talking about the organ that pumps blood throughout your body. He's talking about the thinking center of, your brain, uh, of, your, of yourself, uh, the, the center by which you think. That's what he's talking about when he says uh, the, the heart there, the center of your thought life. 
And so he says, make sure you keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the issues of life. What's Solomon telling us in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom? He's telling us it's important we guard our thoughts. It's important that we think the right things. And what Satan wants to do more than anything else is blind the mind. Pull that veil of darkness over the mind uh, so that men can't see. Let me tell you something. If you're going to think right, if you're going to have a mind that would be pleasing unto the Lord, how many know you've got to be born again? You've got to be saved. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, write these scriptures down, go back and look at them for yourself. Brother, you can put them on the screen if you will, please. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. I'm just going to read them to you really quickly. And I want you to see um, the evidence of the unconverted mind in scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse number 6. Watch what the Bible says. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity. You know what that word enmity means? That means that because of your mind, how you think when you are an unsaved person, you become an enemy of Almighty God. It's an enmity with God, against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So if we're going to have a mind pleasing unto the Lord that's going to think right, and in turn, then, we're going to live right, because as a man thinks, so is he. The first step is for a person to be born again into the family of God. Let's go on further with that. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Let me give you another verse there. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 21. Watch what the Bible says here. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. He's calling us back to before we were saved. He said there was a time when you were alienated. There was a time um, when by your mind you did wicked works. He says, yet now you've been reconciled. Now how many of you are thankful for the reconciliation of God? How many of you are thankful that those who were separated from God and had a, an unconverted mind that was against God because of what Jesus done, because of the work of Christ, the finished work of the, at the cross and through the tomb, we have been reconciled to God and our mind has been changed. But before we met Jesus, the Bible says we were alienated from him uh, by the wicked works of of our mind. So if we're going to have a mind pleasing unto God that would bring about a life pleasing unto God, the first step is to get saved. Can you say amen? You've got to have a salvation factor that takes place, but there also needs to be a sincerity factor. Take your Bibles and go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. We've got to be sincere in our service to the Lord as those who have been converted. And Paul makes this very plain to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 2, I want you to get the picture. Paul sees the church at Corinth um, as his children, him being their spiritual father. And he sees the church as the bride of Christ, Jesus himself being the bridegroom. Now, you know what a father does when it's time for his daughter to get married, don't you? He gives the daughter away to the bridegroom. And this is the picture Paul is painting for us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because the church at Corinth had came, uh, to be, uh, uh, um, um, came to be because of his ministry, he saw them as his spiritual children. 
And he said, I want to present you to Jesus um, as the bride that he deserves. Listen to how he puts it. Uh, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Everybody say chaste. Look at verse 3. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Does everybody see that? Everybody say simplicity. Now, the word chaste means purity. All right? So what's Paul saying? What he wants to do as a father to his spiritual children is present the bride to the bridegroom and the bride, bride be a pure bride, uh, be a chaste virgin, he says there. But not only does he want to present a chaste virgin, a pure church, he also wants to present a church of simplicity. Now the word simplicity there means single-minded devotion. That my mind is on one person and one person alone. Now listen to me, folks. As a husband... My mind is to be about my wife. My thoughts are to be about her. And her thoughts are to be about me. And so we are to have single-minded devotion in our relationship. And that's what Paul is saying about the relationship between the church and the Lord Jesus. We're to be single-mindedly devoted unto the Lord Jesus. Now why is this important? Because the enemy is always trying to corrupt our thinking. The enemy is always trying to get us to think against what God says. The enemy is always trying to corrupt our minds for he knows if he can corrupt our minds, he can corrupt our lives. So we got to talk about the salvation factor and uh, we saw that uh, in the salvation factor, the carnal mind must be converted. If you believe it, say amen. We also need to see the sincerity factor, and we see in the sincerity factor the converted mind can be corrupted if we're not careful. So we've got to be sincere. We have to have single-minded devotion unto Christ. We've got to keep our minds upon the Lord, not just on Sundays, but praise God on Mondays and on Tuesdays, not just in the church house, but at our house, wherever we are. Let's keep our minds on the things of God. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson some of you may know him he's a very famous writer and poet he says a man is what he thinks about all day long and he's right if we keep our minds on the right things we will live in the right way a man will be what he thinks about and so we got to be very careful that the converted mind don't become a corrupted mind so there's the salvation factor, there's the sincerity factor, but also there's the stronghold factor. And if you will, turn back just one page there from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse number 3. Watch what Paul says to us here. He says, For we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Watch what he says. Casting down imaginations. Everybody say imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Everybody say knowledge. And bringing in, into captivity every thought. Everybody say thought. To the obedience of Christ. Now if he's talking about imaginations. 
and he's talking about knowledge, and he's talking about our thoughts, he must be talking about the mind. Do you believe it? And he's saying here that even as a converted believer who has a converted mind, we can have strongholds in our mind put there by the enemy. And he tells us that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. So carnal things cannot overcome the strongholds that Satan sometimes uses in our thought process. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I, I'm a believer in education. And, and I think we ought to get as much education as we can possibly get. But when it comes to breaking down spiritual strongholds in our mind, education will do no good. See, a lost man who is educated is just that, a lost man who is educated. And so education cannot break the strongholds that somehow uh, Satan puts in the minds of believers. How many know that psychology and psychiatry, it's a very good thing. And they're used for good purposes. Uh, when you have a Christian counselor, I think that's a good thing. Uh, that's coming from a right perspective. But I want you to know, psychology and psychiatry does no good when you're breaking down spiritual strongholds. I want you to understand that positive thinking is not necessarily a bad thing. But many Christians don't understand the difference between faith and positive thinking. I heard a story one time about a man. Uh, he was talking to his young son. And his young son came to him and he said, Dad, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to fail my math test tomorrow. And the dad said, Son, don't say that. Think positively. And the young man looked at his dad and said, Dad, I'm pretty positive that I'm going to fail my math test but positive thinking just can't go far enough. It really can't. There's a difference in positive thinking and faith. Positive thinking, uh, the best it could do is wishful thinking. But when we're walking by faith, we're walking according to the truth of what God says. We're acting like God's telling the truth. We're trusting in what we do not, for what, not in our feelings, but what we know to be real. And what we know to be real is the word of God. So these carnal things, they cannot work in the pulling down of strongholds. But I'm telling you something, prayer can work. The word of God can work. When we realize the authority we have in Christ, that can work to the pulling down of the strongholds that sometimes enter our mind. I've got a list that I've came up with this week um, of some strongholds that we all face. And I just want to give them to you. Uh, first of all, um, lastly, before I close tonight, what about the stronghold of fear? Anybody ever have certain fears in your life that you just can't shake? That it seems as though you're thinking on these things all the time and you become fearful about the same thing over and over and over. Listen, Satan can put those fears in your mind and if you're not careful, those fears can become strongholds. And I'm telling you something. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual. And through the spiritual weapons that we've been given, prayer, the word of God, the authority we have in Christ, we can overcome those strongholds of fear that we sometimes have. Let me give you a verse for that. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 1.
2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look down at verse number 7. This is what Paul says here. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Watch what he says. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when those same old fears start creeping back into your thought process, back into your mind, and Satan does that, he'll do that from time to time. He'll do everything he can to do it to create that stronghold. Listen to me. When that happens... Remember what the Bible says. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you the spirit of power by the Holy Spirit. He's given you the, the, the spirit of love and of a sound mind. And so well, remember 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. Sometimes we face the stronghold of fear. Sometimes we face the stronghold of compulsiveness. Has anybody ever been there? Where you do things and you don't even know why you do it. Just you react in a compulsive way and you just do And you wonder, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? I think sometimes that can be a stronghold um, in our life. What about obsessions? You obsess over certain things and that's all you can think about. Maybe something that someone's done to you. Uh, something that someone uh, hadn't done to you. You know, they failed in some way. And so you obsess over that and you think about it continually. If you're not careful, those things can become strongholds um, in your life. What about lust? I am told that right now over 68, about 68% of Americans admit they have a problem with pornography. That's not just men, that's women as well. There's about as many women as there are men uh, that have problems with pornography now because we live in a sex-crazed society. And so I'm going to tell you, that can become a stronghold in your mind if you're not careful, that spirit of lust and um, and, and deception from the enemy. And so we've got to be careful with those things. All of these things can and do become strongholds uh, for the Christian. But I'm telling you, by the power of God, you can overcome it. You can. You can be more than a conqueror through the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the word of God. Listen to me. Realize the authority you have in the Lord Jesus. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Satan is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Straighten it. Satan is big, but Jesus is bigger. Trust in the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Serve the Lord. Think on the Lord. Ask him to clear your mind and give you peace. He does. He has for me. He will for you. How do you master your mind? You master your mind by relinquishing your will to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. You master your mind by filling your mind with good things. Amen. Spend some time daily in the word of God. Folks, I'm thankful you're in church on Sunday. I'm thankful you're back on a Sunday night. I hope you're back Wednesday night. Praise God for that. That's a powerful thing. But if all you're getting um, from the word of God is what you get inside the four walls of the church, you're missing out on a great deal of what God has for you. Fill your mind continually with the word of God. Oh, it makes all the difference in the world. Go to Philippians chapter 4. And let me give you one more verse and I'll be done. Look what it says. Philippians chapter 4. In verse number 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Where do you find things that are true? 
and honest, things that are just, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are of a good report, things of virtue, things that are worthy of praise. Where do you find these things? You find them in the Word of God. Spend some time this week in the Word of God and see how that will help you master your mind and change your thoughts, change your desire, change your direction. The Word of God is powerful and tell it. Spend time in it daily. It makes all the difference in the world. Folks, I heard a story one time about Bear Bryant. He was playing the University of Tennessee. They were up by five points at the end of the game. About two minutes left. Alabama was driving to score again on about the 35-yard line. And the first string quarterback went down with a knee injury on first down. He'd just gotten the first down. And uh, when he finished his run, he hurt his knee. He came hobbling over to the sideline, and they realized that he wasn't going to be able to continue. And there was only about two minutes left. And so uh, Coach Bryant goes over and speaks to his second string quarterback. And he brings him in. And he says, son, this is what I want you to do. I said, I want you to run three plays. He said, I want you to run every play. You don't, I don't want you to throw it down. He said, it's too dangerous. All I'm wanting you to do is run three plays. You don't have to gain a yard. He said, all we need to do is keep the football for three plays, and if we don't gain a yard, we'll punt it, and we'll play defense and win this football game. And so the second-string quarterback agreed. He nodded his head in agreement, run out onto the field, and took the first step. Took the first step and handed it off to the tailback, and the tailback gained about a yard. He took the second snap. Handed it off to the tailback, and he lost two yards. He took the third snap, and when he took the third snap, he uh, held the ball out there for the tailback to come through the line and take it. When he did, he bobbled the football. He bobbled the football so bad that the tailback missed it, and so he kept it and started running around the end. And when he, and he got all the way over to the end, and he could see clearly downfield, he looked down in the back of the end zone, and one of his best wide receivers was sitting in the end zone doing like this. He was waving his hands, wanting him to throw the ball. And the young man had never threw a, a pass um, to, to score a touchdown against Tennessee, and everybody wants to throw a touchdown against Tennessee, and he knew he could make the throw. He could throw it that far. So he reared back, man, and he threw that ball just as hard as he could throw it. But what he didn't realize was that the free safety for Tennessee was watching all this go on, and he was blazing fast. And the moment he threw that ball, that free safety broke on the football and picked it off in the back of the end zone. And he was outrunning everybody right down the sideline. And he came to the place where all he had to beat to score the touchdown to beat Alabama on the last play of the game was beat the quarterback who threw the interception. And sure enough, he ran right by him, uh, just like he was sitting still. And that quarterback was running for all he could run, trying to catch him down the sideline. And he caught him at the two-yard line and tackled him. The clock ran out, and Alabama won by five points. Now, at the end of the game, Coach Bryant walked across to meet the Tennessee's coach in the middle of the field. And the coach from Tennessee looked at Coach Bryant, and he said, Paul, I've done a scouting report on that second-string quarterback, and I know he's not that fast. As a matter of fact, uh, the man that intercepted that ball, that free safety, is the fastest man on our football team. I can't believe he ran him down. And Coach Bryant looked at him and said, well, there's one thing you're forgetting. Your boy was running for six points. My boy was running for his life. 
what was in his mind was bigger than what was in his legs. Can you say amen? It wasn't about the legs. It was about the mind. There's power in what you think. And guys, I'm going to tell you something. When you go out in this world this week, if you can think right, you can live right. You can be what God wants you to be. If you can think right, you can be the mama God's called you to be, the daddy God's called you to be, the husband God's called you to be, the father God's called you to be, the employee God's called you to be, the witness God's called you to be. But it starts with how you think. There's power in right thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Let's master our mind and be what Jesus has saved us to be. Can you say amen? Everybody stand together.